Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder and fine music kicking off a brand new week after deadly tornadoes ripped through the Magnolia State. Rhino, what an incredible weekend it was, and in the midst of the night, uh, some of the storm chaser video was shocking, honestly, when you see the size of that wedge-shaped tornado. And I must admit, I wasn't even familiar with the term that I was hearing on the various uh, weather broadcasts, the live broadcast. They kept referring to it as a wedge tornado. Then I got it when you could see the, the lightning, honestly. It's the only way you could see the the outline, the silhouette, if you will, of this deadly storm that uh, devastated our fellow Mississippians in the Delta, in particular in Rolling Fork, uh, Mississippi, and all the way across on a line where it exited the state of Mississippi a bit uh, north uh, of that initial entry point, kind of took a southwest to northeast track. An F-4 now, I believe it's been classified as an F-4 officially, right? Yeah, at least for part of that track. Okay. And it's certainly at it, it, uh, Rolling Fork, right? It was an F-4. Correct. And uh, on the ground for 90 miles or so? I don't, I don't know if we have the latest on that. Yeah, they're still trying to uh, look at all the, the data and the physical evidence of the storm to determine whether or not it was a single tornado or a single funnel cloud that touched down and then picked back up and then touched down again, or if it's a separate funnel cloud. But either way, it was a nasty storm. It's, uh, it's heartbreaking, honestly. In some of the accounts, in live interviews from some of the townspeople, it's so sad. If there is um, anything to be grateful for, it, of course, is the lives lives spared. The latest is at 25 or 26, officially, Rhino, that are deemed as fatalities from the storm. I've seen both numbers. 
Uh, the latest I saw was 25. Okay. If that has been updated since the last I saw, then I have not seen it. But you've seen um, Mississippians respond. No surprise there. Mississippians are very generous, very concerned about their fellow Mississippians, many of whom lost everything. And you wonder, most of these folks, if they have any sort of insurance whatsoever, and uh, there are a number of ways you can help. But I'm hearing now, Rhino, there's issues with just getting those supplies, those goods, to folks. Many don't have, they're not mobile. They can't get around. It's difficult to get these supplies. Um, I know that our governor, Tate Reeves, was... On the scene, Senator Roger Wicker, and, and there I, I could be leaving some out. I don't intend to do that whatsoever. But just in reports I've seen, of course, uh, Mississippi Man- uh, Emergency Management Association, MEMA, of course, on the scene, Salvation Army, Red Cross, other organizations, a number of groups uh, that have been assisting. I saw where Secretary of State Michael Watson is collecting goods from his home area on the Gulf Coast and is headed that way, I believe, this morning with much in tow, including tarps. You know, it's not something you think about. I think a lot of folks, uh, come. what comes to mind is water and food and so forth. Of course, people need that. But those that uh, have holes in their roofs of their residences, their businesses and so forth need tarps to cover those up to protect uh, against the elements. And, you know, I would just encourage people to certainly, if you feel compelled to help out any way you can, please do so. But this is going to take a while to recover from this. And people are still that were affected are still going to need help uh, for months. So just keep that in mind that uh, let, let's hope that this doesn't just fade away as a uh, as a focal point that we keep all these people in mind, help them rebuild that community. It's just it's heartbreaking beyond the shadow of a doubt. Pam Chapman, founder, creator of Boss Lady Economic Planning and Workforce Transportation Group out of Shaw, Mississippi, will join us at 1020 to give us an update on the work that uh, that organization is doing to help those affected pick up the pieces, etc. Mandy Gunasakra, former EPA chief of staff, will join us at 1037 to update us on the latest developments in her eligibility as a candidate for the Public Service Commissioner of the Northern District of Mississippi. At 1105, it's Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn. It was uh, among the other things going on, conference weekend, appropriations, bills, etc. A lot of work being pressed forward by the legislature. So we'll get an update from the speaker. And then we also have uh, Senator Joseph Thomas at 1137 is going to call in. Senator Thomas represents uh, many of the counties affected if I'm not mistaken, maybe four counties are included in Senator Thomas's uh, district. 
Looks like it's more than that. It's it's six. Humphreys, Madison, Sharkey, Sunflower, Washington, and Yazoo. So Sharkey County, of course, is that is where Rolling Fork is located. So we'll get an update from the senator of what he's seeing and hearing on the ground. It's uh it's heartbreaking beyond uh, belief, honestly, when the sun came up and you started seeing the images of the devastation and now drone footage flying atop. You've seen side-by-side comparisons. I saw our regular listener, Thomas Kelly, posted on his social media some side-by-side aerial views of, of uh, the, effect, the, the affected area. It's incredible. It's mind-boggling. This is um, a poor area in our state. These folks need help. They're going to continue to need help. And uh, we're just deeply saddened at the whole deal. Truly are. Rhino, what do you got on this? Anything uh, other than what we just reported there? I think that gets us pretty much caught up to date. Now, I would ask any of our audience, if you were affected, live in the area, spared, what have you, give us an update on the text line, which is, of course, 601-879-4395, the C Spire text line. I was struck on Saturday while all the information was rolling out, and the preliminary tornado track was released, and then they, they confirmed it yesterday with just that straight line going from southwest to northeast across the Magnolia State. And I couldn't help but wonder what the line from the April 2011 tornado looked like that that hit Smithville. So I pull it up, and I've got both of them there, and it, it, it just it really struck me that the the gap in the tornado track from Friday's storms is pretty much filled in by the track from the Smithville storm. So there's just this line across the Magnolia State of tornadic activity in the last decade or so. Unbelievable. And then, you know, yesterday we had more storms move through, certainly weren't as severe, didn't have the tornadic outbreak that we did on uh, Friday. But the predictions were uh, much more dire, and we're grateful to the good Lord that it turned out not to be quite the event that was predicted. But we need a break. And you know, as, as this governor enters the his final uh, few months of this term, of this term in office, man, I don't know that another governor has had to deal with so much devastation, floods, COVID, tornadoes. It's a lot. And I don't think anybody runs for office thinking, yeah, that's what I'm going to office to, to deal with. Water situation in Jackson. A lot of stuff that sort of uh, falls outside of the scope of just standard governing. In this case, you just have to be a leader. And and I think the governor should be commended for that. You may have a different view on that. But, man, he's had his hands full with all that. Again, nobody signs up to be governor to expecting to have to deal with all that. And, and appreciative to all, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman as well, on site. I have a friend. He sent photos of their place of business up there. Coming right back with Pam Chapman. Stay with us. 
Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. with you in the Element Wealth Studios. Someone asked if we were aware whether or not Representative Benny Thompson is uh, on scene. And yes, we uh, we can confirm that he was. And I certainly don't want to omit anybody in my uh, listing out all of those uh, elected officials, etc., that uh, are there in the affected area. But joining us now is Pam Chapman, founder creator of Boss Lady Economic Planning and Workforce Transportation Group from Shaw, Mississippi. Good morning, Pam. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, certainly a lot better than those affected by these devastating storms that ripped through uh, Mississippi this past weekend. Give us an update uh, from your vantage point. Well, I do. I did hear your last question. Congressman Benny Thompson was on the ground. Yes. He was on the ground. I have the pictures to show that he was there uh, viewing all locations that have been hit uh, by the storm. Yeah. Um, I want to say that I think that um, Mississippi has actually uh, shown a united force in service. Uh, everybody has been uh, hands-on, boots on the ground, doing an excellent job in pulling resources uh, together to help uh, these these communities that have been hit by this uh, devastating tornado. Yeah, it's um, Mississippians are like that, as you well know. It's just unfortunate that we have to even deal with this. It seems like we have... We've had to deal with uh, a number of catastrophic events like this in a in a relatively uh, compressed period of time. That wasn't too long ago we were dealing with floods, devastating floods here in central Mississippi. Of course, we also had the COVID pandemic that was taking its toll. Uh, other tornado outbreaks, and now this one as well. We need a break, don't we? Listen, I just let Mother Nature do her thing, and um, it has been uh, impressive to um, see so many uh, national organizations, um, regional and state organizations on the ground as well. Uh, One of the partners that I'm partnering with, of course, uh, is Energy. Energy has um, been a great uh, organization and company uh, with resources. Uh, helping to reach the families um, uh, on the ground in Moreland Fork. Uh, Save the Children, uh, which is a national and state organization, um, they are currently out right now uh, picking up a $30,000 um, order um, to get to um, the both locations that have hit, been hit by the storm. So we all are trying to do uh, what we can. Um, we're just organizations that believe in uh, helping our communities out. Um, we got involved because um, during the night when the storm hit, uh, we saw families that were trapped um, under their trailers. Mm-hmm. And they were on Facebook asking somebody to help. So we just jumped in and started getting addresses 
And we contacted our Bolivar County EOC director, Mike Lamb. Mike Lamb contacted people down in, in um, Rolling Fork, and we just started connecting a chain. We started connecting the dots to try to get help on the ground because there were no phones. There was nothing there. So we were just trying to be um, a neighbor community and help. And since that particular time, we received calls uh, nationally because of us being on social media all night long, giving out information, uh, trying to help families who were calling from Florida, Atlanta, Chicago to find their parents, their sister, their brother. And so we've been helping out connecting the dots that type of way. But I can truly say Mississippi is Mississippi strong. Everyone has all jumped in and have done a wonderful job providing resources uh, to those, these communities. Right. Now, uh, it's my understanding your your organization is helping to orchestrate some of these relief efforts as well. Is that true? Absolutely. We have been working uh, with different organizations and churches, uh, state organizations and regional, uh, national organizations as well. Um, they have been contacting me saying, hey, Pam, what are you hearing that is needed on the ground? Mm-hmm. So I work uh, daily contacting uh, Mayor Walker and his wife, Ann Walker, um, to see what the needs are, what they're hearing, what do we need to do. And I just put that that information out there on social media, letting people know what is in need right now. But as you know, that so many people have jumped in and um, are providing and bringing in resources that now um, the Mississippi Highway Patrol is, they're limiting, um, you know, who can come in and who can come out and say, uh, is it coming a traffic jam? And then they're still working on assessing the damage. Um, so last night I was talking to the EMA director, Mr. Frank Eason, and he gave me an update just basically saying that he wished people would kind of slow down the process of bringing in more resources because it's so much resources there. And remember, there's only limited building to hold it yeah. um, because this is going to be a long process. Um, in helping these these families. So if you know a family um, directly, that would be a great impact, if you can help that person directly. Um, the people that are coming from out of Rolling Fork or out of Silver City, but they're coming into your community, then your community should step up and help those people that are there within your community that have been placed there. Yeah. And something we talked about in the first segment, uh, Pam, is that uh, certainly, while this is all fresh on our minds, so many people are, are want to help, and they're and they're doing good deeds with uh, buying supplies or or donating money, uh, helping on the ground, just in a number of different ways. But this is going to linger on for quite some time, and so the need is still going to be there for for a very long time. Absolutely, it is, and I think that the county is meeting uh, this morning as we speak, uh, strategizing, putting some plans of actions um, together. Um, I think they're going to hire some people um, that can, you know, actually guide this uh, disaster uh, plan. And so we just need to sit back and wait. Um, I know that everybody wants to to go and see. I know that everybody wants to go and try to help out. But this is going to be a long process. And so I think that it's good for the communities now to start saying, okay, let's think longevity. Mm-hmm. What do we need to do? What what kind of supplies are they going to be needing over time? Mm-hmm. Um, it is going to be a long process. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. Have have you uh, do you have anybody that you're personally connected to that was affected? Um, yes, I have several people who I have worked with uh, over the past years um, on different projects to help create jobs in Mississippi. Some yeah. of them were hit. Um, have friends that have lost their whole house. Mm. Everything is gone. Um, so I, I think that um, by me being in television for so long, a lot of those people that that's there, um, I've known them for a period of time. So it, everybody that has been affected by this storm, I feel I take it personal. Yeah, sure. Ha, have you actually talked to anybody or or know anybody that has talked to folks that uh, say lost their homes, for example? Um, exactly on my social media. Um, there is a video clip where a mother and her children were uh, um, trapped. The trailer house was on top of them, and they couldn't. It had them pinned down, mm. and they were on social media crying out, saying, "Could somebody help me?" And to hear those children cry mm. for help and say they could not move, I have stayed constantly in contact with that family. Uh, we have. Um, made direct contact with that family. Um, we are trying to be that support system for that family, providing them the clothes, the food, um, someone to talk to. So we're staying in contact with a lot of people who have definitely been impacted by it. Wow. That's just incredible. And, and the, the children in particular, they, you know, they're confused. They don't know what's going on, and they rely Absolutely. on adults to, to take care of them and who are doing their best. And it's just kind of limited when you got such devastation right on top of you like that. Absolutely. And, you know, um, these children um, that have been affected by uh, this storm, they it's going, it's going to take a lot of healing because they have a lot of questions. Yeah. And so, you know, it's important for those, um, those counseling agencies, the schools, all of us to partner together to make sure that we talk to the kids and let them explain how they feel, let them ask the questions that they want to answer, you know, ask. And so this is going to be a long healing process. But yeah. as you have said before, we're Mississippi strong, and there's nothing impossible that we cannot achieve. Yeah, absolutely. Pam, thanks so much for joining us today on Middays, giving a report, and most importantly, thanks for everything you're doing there for uh, good Mississippians that just need a helping hand right now. Absolutely, and thank you. You bet. We're coming right back with Mandy Gunasekra. Stay with us. Listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk, Mississippi. Rolling, 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 rolling. We gonna throw it on down. 
Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are live from the Element Wealth Studios. Uh, joining us now, Mandy Gunasekra, former EPA Chief of Staff. Good morning, Mandy. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, good morning, Gerard. Great to be with you. All right, so uh, give us the latest on uh, this situation where, I guess, a circuit court judge had ruled that you are ineligible as a candidate for the Public Service Commission. What's the latest on that? Yeah, so the latest is that it was an unfortunate ruling we received late on Thursday evening, I believe, but... As Spencer Ritchie, who's my attorney, stated quite well, this was a departure from well-established precedent that the Mississippi Executive Committee had actually followed when they approved my candidacy for public service commissioner. So what we're doing right now is we are gearing up for the appeal. Now, once the judge enters officially enters the decision um, into the docket, I believe, uh, we have about three days to file the appeal. So we'll be ready to do that immediately. And then this matter will ultimately go to the Mississippi Supreme Court. So we will be interacting with them in terms of uh, the timeline for briefing and uh, what's the time period by which we can expect a decision from them. But the good news on my end is that this will all be under expedited review. Um, and so we should know relatively soon um, in the relatively meaning uh, how long cases can sometime take relatively soon uh, where the Supreme Court will ultimately come out. But I do feel confident um, that the Supreme Court will come out in favor in the same way that the Mississippi Republican Executive Committee did. Can you share with us, Mandy, the, the details uh, involved here in the case? What what uh, Did somebody complain, I guess, and, and file a complaint? Is that how that worked? And, and what did yeah. they allege? What did they charge? So um, there's there's three components that must be met in order to run for public service commissioner. Um, one is to be at least 25 years old. Uh, two, to, is, to have been a citizen for five years. And then three, to be a resident within the district for two years. Now, what um, the, the person who has brought this challenge, and mind you, it's a bit odd because this person is not actually either of my opponents. Um, it's someone running in a completely different race, but uh, he filed this charge that I did not meet the citizenship requirements, this five-year requirement. Um, and what's important to understand is that by Mississippi law, there is a difference between the citizenship standard, which is premised on um, intent or domicile, which is which is tied to intent versus residency. And so I've always felt very strongly. I mean, my argument, Gerard, is that I've been a lifelong citizen of Mississippi. I'm a seventh generation Mississippian, grew up here my whole life. And it's crazy to me to think that the day I turned 25, I was qualified to run for this position. But then the the seven to eight years that I spent um, serving the conservative interest in Washington, D.C., and bringing my Mississippi values with me everywhere I went for, um, ultimately for the president of the United States, that gave me the experience that makes me the most qualified person in this race, that that could be skewed to to uh, disqualify me when very clearly I do meet the three laid out requirements. Can you explain or share your thoughts, Mandy, as to why someone running in a totally separate race would bring this forward? Yeah, well, I think, Gerard, and, and you, uh, you're, you're in the thick of Mississippi politics. Um, I 
challenge the status quo of the state. Um, and there are those that are threatened by that. And the person who's challenging this, I, what I've heard, um, I'm not going to get into the gossip of the day, but I've heard that, that, that he is just a useful proxy for those that do not want someone like me who I'm my own thinker. I understand these issues and I'm very committed to changing the fundamentals of Mississippi's economy so that we can continue to grow in ways, um, that, that people have never thought about, but to get out of Mississippi being the last in the worst kind of ways and the first in the worst kind of ways, um, to change that trajectory. And there are those in the Mississippi establishment that are threatened by that, that are using a useful proxy to go after me and try to keep me out of this race. So you indicated that an appeal has been filed. Is that correct? It will soon be filed okay. in the next day or two. Okay. So mm-hmm. will, will that, that case ultimately, Mandy, end up before the same judge, uh, Circuit Court Judge Lamar no. Packard? No, it'll go before the Mississippi Supreme Court. Okay. Okay, so this rises to the level of, of uh, being heard by the Supreme Court. And then the other obvious question, you may have already touched on it, but given that the primary is coming up in August, you've got to get a decision here pretty quick. You said relatively, and I, I appreciate that that uh, assertion, <laughs> relatively, but you could be severely injured if you don't get a decision by then. Yeah, I believe they will. They will certainly rule well before the August eighth primary date. Um, I've again, it kind of depends. We have not yet had a conversation, and I say we because I'm also including um, Spencer in this conversation, who's my, who's been my counsel all along. Um, we've not yet had that initial conversation, but typically um, you can see with the briefing schedule and decisions between a six week to a two month time period. So, again, that's not ideal, but the reality is I'm still on the ballot. Once I appeal this decision, I am still on the ballot. I'm still going to be out there meeting with Mississippians, talking to them about what their needs are, how I can help that, and how I can implement a greater vision for the Northern District using my skills and experience that I actually bring to the table. So that's what I'm going to keep on doing. Okay, so that was my next question. And you're proceeding business as usual uh, with your campaigning for this office. Yeah, that's right. Um, I'm not I'm not one to ever back down from a fight, and I'm certainly not giving up uh, on this one right now. We're going to keep on trucking along and, again, getting out there to as many communities as I can. Tomorrow night, we've got a big candidate forum in DeSoto County, so I'll be going out there. That's obviously a very important part of this district because it's where there's been a ton of growth. So I'm very excited to go meet with the folks out there and uh, and answer any questions as may pertain to uh, my status as running, but I'm on the ballot, I am running, and I'm going to continue to fight um, for my ability to run for office and ultimately let the voters decide, uh, not let some, some again, misapplication of existing precedent get in the way of the Northern District having an opportunity to vote for someone like me that brings something different and passionate, but very experienced and knowledgeable to the equation. What are you hearing on the ground, Mandy, from from folks with respect to uh, Mississippi? As you said, Mississippi's economy, and I think the PSC and its policies uh, play uh, a critical role in development and growth of our economy. What do you hear? Well, I think Mississippians are tired of having to pay for uh, pay more for their electricity that isn't justified, or having to deal with 
unreliable electricity. In the Northern District, there were rolling blackouts over Christmas. Now, granted, a lot of that was TVA territory, but Mississippians are tired tired of that. And I, I tell them they do not have to accept that as the status quo. And my predecessor, the Democrat who held this position for so many years that frankly went unchallenged as of 2019, um, he invited decisions that are going to make that worse here in the state. So people are feeling the, the harm caused by the extreme left agenda being pushed by President Biden. It's making the price of gas, electricity, groceries, everything more expensive. Mississippians are fed up. And I'm not only talking to them about how we can fix it, but we can fix it in a way that makes their lives easier, but also brings more opportunity to their families and community. And for that, they are hopeful and excited. Mandy, how will you leverage your experience in Washington as former EPA chief of staff under President Trump? This this seems to be uh, this whole issue of energy in general has got a lot of attention in Washington, and you really can't segregate that from state policy. How will you leverage that to help Mississippi? Well, I'm actually on Wednesday, I've got to go up to the House Oversight Committee. I'm testifying on this very issue about the role of inflated energy costs and inflation and then the rest of our flailing economy. Um, what I bring to the table here in Mississippi is not only a knowledge and, and a working expertise on it, but these relationships to where um, if there are resources that are needed on the ground here in Mississippi, it's not just energy, as you know, we focus on that a lot, but it's also access to clean drinking water. There are 140,000 residents within the Northern District that are still on well water, and a lot of that well water test positive for things they should not be exposed to. Hmm. So bringing those resources by virtue of the relationships I have into the district to help fix these problems. I'm a problem solver. I know what I'm talking about, and I can leverage the relationships I have, the understanding of how resources can be divvied up and bring it back here into the district to take us a step up. Mandy, appreciate the updates, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you some more uh, on this issue. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gerard. You got it. Mandy Gunasakra, former EPA chief of staff and candidate for the Northern District Public Service Commissioner, has been our guest on Middays. We're coming right back. Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn, at 1105. Listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. One eighty-three at this moment. Who knows where it will close? The market breathing a bit of a sigh of relief because there ain't no bank crashes today. For a change, seems like we kicked off the weeks with that. And the First Citizen Bank is acquiring the assets of Silicon Valley Bank, the one that went down a couple of weeks ago, at a big old discount. But they're taking it off their hands, 
Um, Deutsche Bank has stabilized a bit from a liquidity perspective. It's another one that we were concerned about. So, but I don't think we're out of the woods here yet. I really don't, because the folks in Washington won't quit spending money. Read over the weekend that the Fed's balance sheet sitting at $9 trillion is expanding again. They're out there buying mortgage-backed securities and repo agreements overseas, etc. Bottom line is they're injecting more money into the economy. That's what all that essentially means, and that fuels inflation. It's So you got... Fed Chairman Powell raising interest rates on one hand to try to tame inflation, yet injecting money into the economy. That's the other tool the Fed has at their disposal. While we got folks in Washington in the form of Joe Biden and the Democrats who are in charge, who pretty much make every policy one that is deleterious to the economy. In fact, our old friend Robert Reich, who I honestly believe is just a miserable soul, Rhino, I just think he's just a guy that's never really achieved anything other than being a lifelong leech off the government for the most part. He posts yesterday, repeat after me, wages aren't pushing up prices, corporate profits are pushing up prices. Instead of relying on the Fed to raise interest rates, which could slow the economy toward a recession, Congress and President Biden should be taking aim at corporate price gouging. Price gouging. This guy does not believe in markets. He loathes profits. He's, I believe, resentful of success. The success he could not ever achieve in the private sector, because he doesn't appreciate markets. What does he mean, price gouging? Is somebody putting a gun to your head and making you buy stuff at a certain price? Well, if we did it Bernie Sanders' way, would we limit choices? Remember, he said that before. Look at all these brands of deodorant here in the store. We don't need all this. That's just demonstrates his lack of understanding of basic demand and supply competition. But every time I see this stuff, I just scratch my head. And uh, looking at a couple of the comments on this Twitter, this person who is styled as Call Time, that's their Twitter handle. Been saying this to every Republican who brings up Bidenflation since it started. It should be the standard answer, corporate greed. So to these people, producing a dime of profit is greed. The term greed is so misused, misapplied. Coveting or acquiring something or some something of value to which you are not entitled, did not legitimately earn, that's greed. But maximizing profit by 
delivering value to the market, to consumers, that ain't greed. That's just good business. If that's the case, then we ought to be blasting Apple, the most profitable company on the planet. Is it greed that everybody wants their stuff and is willing to part with their money for it? Quit buying all them phones, people. Quit buying all those computers. Get off that Internet. Delete all those apps. I'll wait. Maybe it's because we receive value from these goods and services that we're willing to part with our money the way we do. I think it's a beautiful thing. Why don't they get that? They're jealous. I'm honestly convinced that they're jealous. Somebody said, <laughs> says styled as connoisseur of popular delusions. You know that's a wacko. I know this is crazy, but hear me out. Companies always charge as much as they can. I bet this connoisseur of popular delusions gets the maximum amount of money they can for their labor. You want to bet? Coming right back after the break here, Super Talk News, Fox News, then it's Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays. Back in the Element Well Studios, we're waiting for the Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn. Lots of uh, photos from our audience here, uh, Rhino, and certainly didn't mean to leave out uh, Amory. Devastation to Amory, and we had someone that sent us some photos of that. Just incredible. Also, uh, Keith and Vaden sent... uh, some rather shocking photos as well. As well, I'm not sure exactly where that is, but uh, it's it's a view looking uh, from his vantage point in his vehicle down I think the road. Blackhawk, Blackhawk. There you go. Which I is see a it. Community in Carroll County. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, unbelievable, Keith. Appreciate you sending that. So there was uh, some else, somebody else on the 662 said, yeah, Amory took a beating as well, and there's a series of photos sent. It's incomprehensible, honestly. Incredible. Wow. So a couple of folks have asked about the National Guard. I'm honestly not sure. It's the governor, right, who has the, the authority to mobilize the National Guard. So I don't know exactly what's going on there and whether or not this is a situation where mobilizing the Guard would make sense. So I'm not sure. We'll see what we can find out on that. Ben from Madison says, I was pleasantly surprised to see the Senate make an effort to suspend the rules for the ballot initiative process. That is absolutely hot off the press, folks. Just happened within the last hour or so, I believe. 
Which may be why the speaker has been tied up. I'm thinking that could be the case as well. Uh, but bottom line is they used a procedural matter, a procedural um, authority here to suspend the rules with respect to uh, a deadline. It's really just a parliamentary tactic. And this would revive debate on the ballot initiative process. Senate Rules Chairman Dean Kirby says no one was happy that we weren't able to come to an agreement. So four senators of the 52 voted against the resolution, Chris Johnson of Hattiesburg, John Polk of Hattiesburg, Mike Thompson of Long Beach, and Angela Hill of Picayune. So at this point, it requires two-thirds of lawmakers from both chambers to officially suspend the rules and allow for continued debate on this measure, on this issue. Uh, Similar that, to an override in that fashion. Yeah, that being, and it makes sense to suspend the rules. You don't want that to happen kind of willy-nilly with just, I would say, a simple majority. You want a supermajority to vote to do so. That You could see how that could get out of hand if that weren't the case. So this resolution, by the way, of suspension of the rules that would suspend the rule rules only applies to legislation dealing with the ballot initiative process. So now it heads over to the House for consideration, and that's where we are. I'm honestly not sure if the House and Senate can get together on the key sticking point, which is the number of uh, signatures required. All right, we got the speaker. Hey, Mr. Speaker, thank you, sir, for calling in. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Sorry I'm a few minutes late. We were uh, debating on the House floor. I had to had to step away for a second. Yes, sir, completely understand. So we were just talking about the, the possible um, suspension of the rules so that this ballot initiative process resolution could uh, could uh, go undergo further debate. What? Where do we stand? Well, I don't know. I just learned uh, a minute ago. Like I said, I've been on the podium presiding, and right as I stepped away to to call you, uh, mm-hmm. someone indicated to me that they had passed the suspension resolution. I have no idea what it says. I have no idea what the, their plan is. As you know. The House has passed a plan two years in a row that has stakes out our position. What we passed closely mirrors what was the original bill, and uh, the Senate has just been way, way above that every time. So uh, unless they plan to, to change their position, I don't know that it serves a whole lot of good uh, or is going to accomplish anything. We've, um, um, I don't know what. I don't know what their intention was in passing the resolution. They've had two opportunities in recent years to, to take it up, and it just hadn't gone anywhere. So the ball's basically in their court, is the way I see it. Yeah, and it, you know, Mr. Speaker, you know, I've talked about this quite a bit. Uh, I guess we could continue debating uh, the issue, but I'm not sure we can close the gap. Me either. Me either. 
we we passed a bill two years in a row that, as I said, closely mirrors the original deal, and the number of required signatures has been significantly higher on their end of the building. So, we'll just see. I have not had a chance to talk to them about. I mean, all the suspension resolution does is is allow for the introduction of another another bill. But what's the point if they're not willing to? move any i don't know that that accomplishes anything yeah yeah so you guys have been uh, pretty busy the last few days the conference weekend dealing with appropriations what can you tell us well today's the deadline to pass appropriation revenue bills we uh, have a two o'clock deadline to pass those bills we're in the process of doing that as we speak getting the budget done, uh, then any bill that needs to be recommitted can be recommitted and refiled by 6 o'clock, and then it has to be voted on by 8 o'clock. I'm hopeful that we'll get them all done before that 6 o'clock deadline. I just learned from Secretary of State Michael Watson that the House just recommitted HB 1310. That's the Election Integrity Bill. Do you have any info on that? I do not. Uh, it um, uh, it was a bill that we had passed earlier. It went to conference. Um, I was informed uh, that there were some changes made in that bill that deviated significantly from the original bill that was passed. I do not know what they are. Um, the motion to recommit was made. And all that does is just send it back for further conferencing. It does not kill yeah. the bill at all. It just it just recommits for further conferencing. And, and I have not had a chance to look at that to see what the, the concern is there. Yeah. You, usually that means that maybe the, those in the minority on a vote have some amendments they want to offer. Is that typically the case? Well, not at this point. I mean, you can't amend a conference report. Okay. So all, all happens there is that the conferees will go back and discuss further whatever it is. I, I don't know what the okay. concern is. Uh, there, was, there was significant upset over that bill. And uh, as I said, we're, that is not a bill we have to take up today. Uh, we have to take up appropriation and revenue bills today. That bill is a general bill. It can be taken up tomorrow. So um, we are on a 2 o'clock deadline I to see. get those appropriation bills passed. And so I think the decision was made just to lay that one off the, to the side and let's get the work that we have to get done today. And we can discuss that one later today and into tomorrow. Yes, so sir. That was not something that had to be done right here and now. I understand. Uh, any surprises from an appropriations perspective? Uh, as you know, the Senate proposed some changes in the MAEP formula, and uh, I guess at that point would uh, move to fully fund uh, under the new formula, is my understanding, but it looks like that's dead. Well, we, we have believe for a long time that the MAP formula is dysfunctional. It yeah. just does not work. Nobody understands it. Uh, it has been funded twice in 25 years. I think that speaks to the fact that it is it is somewhat dysfunctional. Uh, we, as you know, brought forward a plan about five years ago to change that formula. We passed it and sent it down to the Senate, and they couldn't get the votes to, to pass it. But uh, we have never had confidence in the MAEP formula. We believe another formula is required. 
That doesn't mean we're not going to put more money into education. Yeah. We are going to offer a proposal to put more money into education, but we're just not going to put it into the MAEP formula. Uh, we did teach pay raise last year, $250 million. Yep. Uh, told, and I guess we need to verify this, but if you consider what we put into the MAEP formula last year, and you add to that the $250 million right. that we put in teacher pay, you come within the ballpark of what the formula called for. So yeah. when people say, are we fully funding education? I would argue, yes, we are fully funding education. Yeah. They want to argue that we're not fully funding the formula, but the formula is just it's just a, a, a recommendation. Right. So I would argue that we are, in fact, putting toward education the dollar amounts that the formula calls for. Yeah, the formula, I think, is dated. Mr. Speaker, I know you're busy. you got Appropriations Day. Uh, good to talk to you, sir. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Appreciate you, your time. Yes, sir. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Three Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. Right. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. Bumping us into this segment here on Middays. Don't forget, coming up at noon, it is Monday, so that means Super Talk Outdoors with host Ricky Matthews. So, uh, the speaker clearly is uh, immersed in the appropriations bills, which I understand that today's a deadline. Should be. And... Um, didn't seem to be aware yet of this resolution to suspend the rules passed in the Senate, now headed to the House, as we indicated earlier. This is specifically pertaining to the ballot initiative process. It does require a supermajority. Two-thirds of both chambers have to agree to suspend the rules, which would allow further debate on the ballot initiative process. Now, keep in mind, this is a resolution. It's not a bill talking about the ballot initiative process because it does require amending the Constitution to implement. So that's something that is referred to the ballot that the citizens would have to vote on. And I think there's a bit of a sense of urgency. It feels like, Rhino, that they're coming away again without a, um, a legal way for citizens to redress their government at the ballot box here in Mississippi. And so maybe this is a last gasp effort to get something done. You'd have to do it now unless the governor called a special session, which I don't know is likely. Of course, I think Tate's made it very clear, unless the votes are there, I ain't spending the money and gathering everybody up in Jackson to 
to um, enjoy some per diems <laughs> to produce nothing. I don't blame you. Point is, you got to get something done to get it on the ballot this fall. If not, the next chance would be next fall, up 24, November 24, when we go to the polls to elect the president. Well, that's our... honestly why I thought we didn't see it happen this go-around, is because you had so many people that could fall back on the, well, we can get it done next session. But... I feel like there's been a big enough push by proponents of the ballot initiative to reach out to their legislators and say, look, the election is this year, and your decisions on the ballot initiative may wind up taking your picture off the wall this year. Don't wait till next year. I think you're right. I think that's a spot-on analysis there of what is going on. But once again, the the holdup here is uh, the number of signatures required to place a measure on the ballot. The House wants to stick with, as the Speaker just said, they know where we stand. We've staked our position. That's true. In legislation that passed last year and didn't get anywhere passed in the House, the chamber over which the Speaker presides and didn't get anywhere in the Senate. So the the House wants to keep the signature requirements level with what is currently in our Constitution, the state Constitution, 12% of the number of ballots cast in the most recent gubernatorial election. The Senate wants 12% of the registered voters. Turns out that's a significant number, sadly, because you'd like to see everybody that's registered to vote, vote. Of course, you wonder how many actually can because we hadn't cleaned up the dead gum voter rolls, which is what Secretary of State Michael Watson has been preaching for some time. They won't let him do it. But nonetheless, the Delta is, what, significant? 130, 140,000 between what the House wants what the Senate wants. Which, to me, says there's plenty of wiggle room for compromise. Both the Speaker and the Lieutenant Governor, both the House and the Senate, can remove their egos long enough to compromise, and neither will be happy, but neither will be that ticked off. I think that's reasonable. And the winner is the citizens of the Magnolia State. Yeah. Dan in Hattiesburg on the ceasefire text line, has anyone considered 180,000 signatures as a compromise? We're not really sure, Dan. We, I, I don't, doesn't seem like it. Yeah, it seems to me like that both sides have, have kind of dug in. I suspect, and this is just opinion here, that the House is probably more open to, to increasing the number than the Senate is open to decreasing. And again, that's Purely anecdotal and speculative. Take that for what it's worth. Uh, but it's a it's an issue, and at this point, we don't have a ballot measure process. Now, I believe that if one were uh, instituted, one that um, is aligns with our congressional districts, or as as I think the language was structured, 
it removed the specific number of congressional districts which presently sits in the uh, as it relates to signature collection that's what presently exists in our constitution who in the world dreamed that up uh, seriously because as you guys know this is why the supreme court invalidated initiative 65 the medical marijuana ballot measure because it was done uh, in accordance with the Constitution, but that conflicted with the number of congressional seats we have. The Constitution says five, we only have four, which has been the case for a long time. So uh, the language that the House offered, and I believe the Senate as well, eliminates that possible conflict, and it and it just merely states that the signatures have to be evenly spread over the number of congressional districts in effect at the time uh, a measure would be taken up and presented to the Secretary of State for approval to place on the ballot. Makes total sense. Uh, you know, it, honestly, Rhino, kind of reminds me of the old uh, days of learning structured software development where you, you try to stay away from inside code ever including specific values like that, rather always use variables, because they could change, and that's what happened here. So in the old days, we would call that quick and dirty code. Serious. Just do it quick and dirty, which means just embed all that stuff in the code, which is quick, but it's also dirty, because if you ever got to change it down the road... You're in a hell of a fix. That's what happened here. Seriously, that's where we are. So uh, we'll see what happens. But I, I called this unfinished business in 22, remember, repeatedly. Now it looks like it's headed to be unfinished in 23 if we don't get together on this deal. I disagree with those in the Senate who say that they're their goal is to protect against, including the lieutenant governor, their goal is to protect against large, well-funded outside interests, kind of hijacking the ballot measure process when the signature threshold is very low. They could mobilize and fund an effort to get whatever they wanted on the ballot. I believe it's just quite the opposite. That by having a high signature threshold, that pretty much assures the only entities, the only interests that could get a measure on the ballot are those that are generally out of state and well-funded and have some specific intent in mind they want to put in front of the people that they feel like would pass. So that's just opinion. You know, no big deal. Um, Two sides of the same issue. We'll see where that goes. It's, It's pretty important. Interesting that that happened while we're here. Wow. Ricky in Aberdeen sent a photo, Wren, Mississippi. Look at that. There was a house here Friday afternoon, and this photo shows just nothing but a pile of rubble. Unbelievable. Thanks for sending, Ricky. Gosh. Sam from Mount Hermon says, "Hey, Hello, Gerard. Why can't the governor sign an executive order requiring the Secretary of State to clean up the voter rolls? I'd suspect that's been considered. I don't know the exact answer to that, Sam, but I suspect that that has been considered and probably not legal. I think if that were the case, it would have already happened. 
James in Hattiesburg says, go over the process of validating a signature. I'd have to look that up. I can't say that I remember that off the top of my head. Are you talking about a specific signature, James, or or the number of signatures? Validating a signature. I'll take a look at that. I, I believe that's published. I think we discussed this before with Secretary of State Michael Watson on the program, and he may be listening and he may weigh in. We'll see what we can find out. Coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Joining us now, Senator Joseph Thomas. He represents District 22, which includes the counties of Humphreys, Madison, Sharkey, Sunflower, Washington, and Yazoo. Senator Thomas, thanks for calling in, sir. I know you're in session. You don't have a lot of time, but we appreciate you uh, giving us a couple of moments. Thank you. Good morning. Yes, sir. So what can you report uh, from your district, especially from Rolling Fork? What do you know? Yeah, okay. Well, we, we'd like to thank you for this opportunity to get on and talk about my district. Uh, Rolling Fork was just totally uh, destroyed. It was just a devastation. I, I got a chance to see for myself. I had been hearing, but I took a helicopter tour and then got a chance to sit down in um, Rolling Fork. And it uh, looked like somebody had just dropped a bomb. Hmm. So it's uh, it was uh, heartbreaking just to you know be able to see, but I I needed to see uh, so we can try to make uh, the citizens of Rolling Falls and other areas like uh, Silver City to, uh, make them whole again. And uh, we'd uh, like to thank uh, the governor for asking for the emergency declaration as soon as he did, and and the president jumped right on it, along with our congressional delegation, uh, jumped on it, and we got a uh, record-breaking declaration as of yesterday morning. So we are ready now to start helping the citizens. It's it's just a horrible situation over there with uh, what has happened and. you know, no utilities, no no lights. Uh, uh, we had a lot of people that have come in and have uh, trying to help uh, with the food service and water and, and et cetera. But we needed uh, payments like emergency housing. That's what we're working on now, emergency housing and uh, SNAP payments. So we they will be provided uh, meals every day. And um, that's where we are, really. I mean... In terms of uh, utilities, I think we had about 975 poles that were down. Wow. And, and so many uh, spans of uh, 472 spans of wire down, uh, 438 transformers. So it's, it's it's dangerous on the ground, and we got people on the ground, and it's, it's dangerous that the search and, and rescue has ended. But uh, the people, we need to pretty much get them out and get them in a secure place safe place and where they can uh, get three meals a day. Yeah. 
and and get a roof over their head as well. That's right. That's right. But I'm I'm real pleased though with uh, uh, our congressional delegation, uh, uh, Senator Wicker, Senator Hyde Smith, and especially Congressman Thompson, who that's his second district. Uh, they have really been working, and they want to make us whole over there. And I think they're going to do it. So they brought MEMA, FEMA, MEMA, and those agencies been on the ground, and they know what's happening, and, and they're ready to start uh, helping our citizens over there. We, yeah. we don't want them to give up hope. We want them to uh, uh, go through the process with us, and we're going to make it happen. Yeah, I believe. And we don't. We don't want them to leave home. I mean, they might have to leave temporarily. But we want them to come back. That's where that's home, and we want them to stay in uh, Shaka County, stay in Rolling Fall, and Silver City also. Right. Is that what you anticipate, Senator? That uh, those communities, uh, uh, Silver City, Rolling Fork, will be rebuilt. Uh, hopefully, uh, we are excited about uh, the partners that have come in and said that's what they intend to do. Yeah. Uh-huh. We want Rolling Fork back and, and Civil City. I, I want to leave out Civil City, but Rolling Fork, the larger community and, uh, you know, the hospitals and schools and all of that, buildings, and uh, we want to build back even better than it was. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I know a lot of these families have been there for generations, and, and they're, they can't really fathom moving out of the area. No, no, it's just sad. I, I got a chance. I was going by the uh, saw the shaft in one of the yards, and I stopped and um, uh, talked to him, and he was picking up uh, items, and he was in his mother's yard, and there wasn't anything there but just hmm. just items all over the ground. And, um, you know, situations like that. Uh, the Dollar General was completely just a pile of rubbish. It's just like mm. somebody dropped a bomb. I, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. But uh, we're going to build back even better. And uh, people all over the country uh, want to help. And if uh, we, we just got to help each other and, and make it happen. Besides Make action that, that the governor can take as, uh, you know, the, the scope of, of uh, control and power that he has with emergency declarations and so forth, is there anything that you're hearing around the Capitol there from lawmakers, some action they may consider taking? Yeah, we're working on, on, on doing something, but the, the federal government had just stepped in and, and uh, you know, they're on the ground. Yeah. So basically, we're going to do some things. That we, we've had uh, had one corporation has uh, uh, offered to give five hundred thousand dollars. Wow! And and I, I thought that was uh, tremendous. And I, I've shared that information with the mayor. The mayor over there is, is Mayor Eldridge Walker, mm-hmm. and uh, and also Supervisor Woodrow Johnson in Civil City is uh, contact people. But uh, I've gotten over twenty uh, requests. As soon as they can identify uh, their needs and who to send what to, uh, we have companies that want to provide equipment, uh, food, clothing, uh, major players that want to do want to help us put it back. Yeah. But I, but I was uh, one of our companies that operate uh, uh, offered to. Um, Give them five hundred thousand dollars. That's awesome, and and uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. We don't have to reveal the company, Senator, but I'm challenging all corporations to yeah. uh, to get on to get on board and to to help uh, in the recovery efforts in these communities. Uh, the, the private sector would like to see them give back. 
That's right. That's right. And that's what's happening. Um, you know, basically, uh, without going over my list, we, but we do have uh, quite a few companies uh, that operate um, like Walmart, Amazon, and companies like that. Sure. That's, that's so good to hear. We've got uh, realtors, uh, association, just a lot of people are waiting. And I think my board is meeting in Rolling Fork today, and as soon as they can tell us how to refer people to them, and, and where to send what, you know, items and whatever. Uh, my, my community in, um, Silver City, uh, talked to the supervisor this morning and they desperately need clothing. Um, and so we're putting out a, uh, craft for items of clothing at this point. Now, FEMA's in, but it's going to take a minute for them to get those, uh, Funds and channel down to the individuals. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, so we're talking it, about immediate stuff like today. <laughs> what? Where? How can folks help? Uh, do you, Do you have any? Well, as soon as we get uh, the contact from those organizations, we don't want people sending stuff all over everywhere. Sure. But, uh, as soon as the mayor uh, tells me set up the procedures, who to send it to? Okay. Uh, and the same thing with. Uh, uh, Civil City, then we'll be ready to do what 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 we need to do. But in the meantime, people are dropping off. Uh, at, uh, they're dropping stuff off at the city bond. I mean, county bond in uh, Civil City, and they're dropping the old uh, armory in Rolling Fork. They're dropping got off, it. and we got people from two or three counties. They've been in there cooking, and and uh, they're in there now serving food, hot food. We'll be looking for more information, and we'll yep. certainly pass it on as well. Senator, okay. I know you're busy okay. in session. Appreciate you joining us, sir. The, get back on the floor. Yes, Thank sir. You, Thank you. All right. Yes, okay. sir. Bye-bye. Well, yeah, th- this is when I like to see the private sector step up. And, uh, you know, this is a better approach, in my view, than relying on government. We have assets, resources, specifically allocated, dedicated to that purpose, and that's great. Those, those should be leveraged, but private sector can step up. I know that uh, I, I just remember I operated a large operation and uh, location in Baton Rouge, and you remember we had floods down there a few years ago, devastating floods. The Amit River spilled over its banks and Wow, the, my staff down there, Rhino, was incredible how they got together to help out in, in the community. And we were, of course, totally supportive of that. And we also had the um, hurricanes that hit Florida. You remember that four or five years ago? And we had truckloads of, of uh, members of our team headed down that way with all kinds of supplies in hand and Again, uh, private sector, step up. Help out here, man. Um, this is a chance to give back to the communities that that make you successful and um, those consumers that are your customers. Help them out here. Put your money where your mouth is. Don't wait on government. We're coming right back here with a final segment. Stay with us.
Mornings with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios. Final segment here on Middays. Up next, Ricky Matthews, Super Talk Outdoors. So, James in Hattiesburg says, counting votes without signatures attached is constantly challenged. Seems like verifying hundreds of thousands of names written in cursive is impossible. So, I did verify with the Secretary of State, Michael Watson, that signatures are verified by the circuit clerks, that the signature collectors deliver them uh, the signatures to the circuit clerks, and that's because that's where your voter registration is stored. They uh, look to verify that they are a registered voter and they can compare the signature to that which is stored in the statewide election management system, SEMS, S-E-M-S, SEMS, the acronym uh, for that particular system. And uh, they also could be on file with the Department of Public Safety, their signature. Now, what I'm not aware of, and I'm searching, uh, I've asked this question, searching for the answer to this with the Secretary, is uh, whether or not, well, he just answered, so whether or not the signatures are verified through electronic systems. This was a big deal, you recall, Rhino, in the 2020 election, because there are a lot of uh, counties across the country states as well, that use um, electronic signature verification technology where it compares, and they're, and they're, those can be dialed up and configured um, within certain tolerances and thresholds. And there was some, uh, some concern about maybe being a little too lax in the tolerances and thresholds. Essentially what it means is the machines, if you will, compare the signature on a ballot to the signature on file, and we don't always sign exactly the same way, so it. it, it well, in fact, that's a red flag. If the signature matches exactly a previous example of a signature, then it usually gets red flagged as a forgery. Yeah, somebody took uh, great care in, in trying to perfectly replicate it, which which the normal person doesn't do when they sign. But so the algorithms and the systems know that yeah, that's the same person uh, within certain. Uh, again, certain thresholds. So the secretary said it is a said it is a manual process. But you're you're spreading these out, uh, of course, across the, the 82 counties and in, in the circuit clerks and the signatures harvested in those respective counties. So not an insurmountable task, uh, and it is manual. So it, there there is uh, some to some extent. Of course, you're relying on the human eye and and logic. To do so, but I think that's overall fairly safe. Honestly, I just I just can't see ballot um, initiative signature harvesters going through the pains of trying to cheat on signatures. You'd have to know a lot of people and a lot of names, et cetera. I guess you could go through some 
undercover process to collect all that information, but that's fairly far-fetched, I think. So that's If a, memory serves, most of the challenges to signatures on previous ballot initiatives came from the color of ink used for the signature, or it was signed in pencil, or it was an overzealous supporter that signed multiple sheets. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's always possible. But the the best you can do, I think, is uh, the way we handle it. I'm not sure you could, unless you've got every signature notarized, that'd be crazy, wouldn't it? That would take forever. Yeah. I mean, that's typical when you're signing legal documents and so forth, um, contracts, etc., critical documents. You do that with a, a notary, a witness, watches you sign it, and then Im, imparts their seal on the document with their information, logs it, etc. Is that called embossed? Embossed, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because that's what it does. It Seal. Yeah, it's, it's embossing when it rises, when it raises something. It's engraving when it carves. You're something. right. Yeah, when it goes the other way, it's a concave versus convex situation, right? I think so. But it's all about perspective. Yeah, exactly. But nonetheless, it's ju- it's just an, an attestation by the individual, by the notary. Yeah, I watched this person, and uh, not just anybody can get a notary, and they. That seal, that device that embosses the paper is kept in their possession, locked up. We have one in my office, and it was locked in a safe, you know, the notary seal that only a few people had. And then, of course, they have to sign and log it and all that stuff. Um, William in Greenville says, oh, those greedy corporations. Yeah, you mean the ones that are giving money to help out the victims of the tornadoes? And I, I truly am imploring them to get on board with more uh, more funding for the devastation that occurred in our state. We're out of time here today. Ricky Matthews, Super Talk Outdoors, up next. We thank you so much for joining us. Please pray for all the people affected. Back tomorrow. God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.